This is Talking Urology. This Talking Urology Ands Up Conference highlight features Dickon Haim talking with urologist Peter Black from Vancouver discussing immunotherapy for bladder cancer. Um, hello there, my name's Dickon Hain, and we're at the Ands Up Conference and I'm the pleasure of talking to Peter Black um, about bladder cancer and specifically aspects related to uh, changes in immunotherapy um, in bladder cancer. So, um, thanks for talking to us, Peter. Um, I think the let's start in the more advanced setting um, there's so much going on it's it's quite a bewildering for urologists and and medics as well so where do you uh, where do you see firstly could you tell us what you think are the the current trials that are going to be most elucidating in this space and then maybe and then move on to your your, your top picks for where things are going with the advanced setting yeah, so absolutely, yeah, there's a, a dizzying number of, of different trials going on right now, and we have five different drugs, five different checkpoint inhibitors uh, that have been approved in the United States, and, and their approvals trick, trickling through in, in different countries, including Australia. And it's all in patients with metastatic uh, bladder and upper tract disease who failed prior cisplatin. So cisplatin, or platinum in general, so car- carboplatin or cisplatin, and uh, we've seen good results, so about 20% will have a, a response, but obviously there are a lot of patients who still are not responding. Um, so one thing that we are seeing as, as things move forward is that these drugs are moving into different disease states. So we have trials now also in adjuvant, uh, in the adjuvant setting after radical cystectomy. Uh, there are three different trials there. We also have some new adjuvant trials going on, and then it's also moved into the, the non-muscle invasive disease setting. Uh, and then the, the other thing that we can expect in the future are, are combination therapies. So there are a lot of trials ongoing with one of the established checkpoint inhibitors plus either another immunotherapy or uh, in addition to chemotherapy or in addition to radiotherapy. Uh, so there's, there's an awful lot going on. And then there's also a very rich research area around biomarkers and which biomarkers can we use to select out the, uh, the 20% of patients who really are going to benefit uh, so that they get the treatment and, and the other patients move on to something else. So I'm interested to hear you mentioning trials um, in the adjuvant setting. Um, obviously, those of us who um, perform cystectomy and you've got high-risk patients, they maybe they've had new adjuvant chemo and they've still got T3 disease or perhaps they've, they've still got, uh, they've got anyone with positive lymph nodes at cystectomy. They're maybe fit patients. They're the ones you really want to hit hard. You really want to try and cure those patients. So can you uh, tell us any more about any, any studies looking at that group and what... what yeah, so it's exactly the, those patients. So it's patients, uh, if, if a patient has had new adjuvant chemotherapy and still has any muscle invasive disease after, at, at the time of cystectomy, and that already counts for most of these trials or for all three of these trials. And then any patient, regardless of new adjuvant chemotherapy, if they have T3 or greater or node, node positive. And it's, it's, it's very attractive because it's relatively easy therapy to give. It's very well tolerated. It's much better tolerated than chemotherapy. We know that we have challenges giving adjuvant chemotherapy in, in some patients post-cystectomy. Uh, this should be easier, and uh, so it's, it's very compelling. In the neoadjuvant setting, of course, the problem is that if you only expect 20% to respond, we're going to be reluctant to delay cystectomy for that kind of response rate. And what about combination immunotherapies, a, a, PD, a PD-1 or a PD-L1 and, and CTLA-4s? In the, is, is anyone using that in an adjuvant setting in a study that you're aware of, or is that a...? 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone's doing it somewhere. Uh, I'm not aware of, of a bigger trial with it. I mean, the, the adjuvant trials with single agent, PD-1, PD-L-1, they're all phase three trials, you know, lots of patients, but there, there may be smaller trials. Um, the trials we have seen, again, are in, in the second line metastatic, there are combination trials. And I think one of the most interesting trials has already completed accrual, which is in the first line metastatic, so no, no prior chemo, where patients are either getting, or well, trials finish accrual, but they got drivalumab alone, which is a PDL1 inhibitor, or they got drivalumab plus tremolimumab, which is a T- CTLA4 inhibitor, or regular chemotherapy. And so that's going to be very interesting in the, the three, first line. Three-way randomization. Three-way randomization. Yeah, okay. It'll be fascinating to see the results of that one. So what about the non-muscle invasive setting? Because this is, so the urologists in Australia, we're obviously, that, that's, that's where we're likely to be more directly involved in the immunotherapy space is that are we going to be are we going to be giving these patients um, immune therapies are we going to how are we going to deliver it what's what's going to be happening yeah so I think um, you know right now second line metastatic you say well as urologists you know I'm not in that space I I don't need to really know it but uh, certainly adjuvant yeah we we certainly need to know it those are our patients that we're we're sending on and then in the non-muscle invasive setting yeah the question is can we should we be doing this ourselves? I think for the most part, we'll have to work in close collaboration with the medical oncologist, and they, they will be giving the agents. But uh, there, there's some compelling reasons why these drugs should be tested in clinical trials in, in patients who failed BCG. And so, there again, there are three different trials looking at this, and, and, and one of those trials is open in, in Australia and New Zealand. And um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a paradigm shift. We're giving systemic therapy to patients with non-muscle invasive disease. But we know this is high-risk disease, high-risk of progression. Uh, there is a mortality risk, and, and so I think it's, it's something patients cert- certainly embrace. How, how would you feel about us at this stage, with the, because we have very little information about how these drugs may work in a non-muscle invasive setting, how do you feel about trials which might um, utilize um, immune therapies up front against um, a best practice, which would be BCG with maintenance? Yeah, so I think that's challenging. Uh, again, if we look at the at this magic twenty percent, you know, it's not a it's not really a great response rate by itself. So, uh, more patients will respond to BCG than that. So, I, I don't think we should be trying to uh, necessarily replace BCG. I think we want to build on BCG. So, I, I think the the trial design in the patients who have not yet failed BCG should be BCG alone versus BCG plus new drug. Um, and, and there are trials coming up in that space. The, the BCG failure population is attractive for the companies because there's a clear pathway towards FDA registration. So that trial space, the BCG refractory, or, or what we're now saying unresponsive, is a very busy trial space. And there, there aren't that many patients. That's... Yeah, exactly. There's, there's actually a lot of competition, shall we say, for, for the patients to, uh, to get them enrolled on these trials, which... You know, it's great if we can get these trials done, uh, and it's great for the patients if they can, uh, if they're exposed to novel therapies. But it is challenging to to do it. Okay, that's been very interesting. Thank you very much. Thank you. Talking urology at ANZUP, proudly supported by Ipsen.